welcome to this week's episode of From Red to Black, a homicide life on the street podcast. Uh, I'm Joe Moore. And I am Daniel Chornamas. And today we're going to be talking about uh, Season 1, Episode 3-ish, Son of a Gun. Do you want to explain our, yeah, our so decision here? There, there's a few things. On the DVD, they, they actually showed a different episode. Episode number nine, Night of the Dead Living. But as far as TV broadcast goes, this was shown as the third episode. Interestingly, it was the fourth episode shot, not to confuse you further, but on TV, it was aired third. So we're going to stick with the TV schedule. Yeah, and I kind of can understand that now. So we'll uh, go over the... Um the recap of this episode, uh, Crosetti's best friend, Officer Thorman, is shot and in critical condition. Bayless, Pemilton, and the company continue to work the Watson case with no progress being made. Bolander makes two new friends and later investigates the death of one of them. Uh, this episode was written by James Yoshimura. Uh, it was directed by Nick Gomez um, and, of course, based on a Tom Fontano's story. Yes. Um, very interesting enough, the three guest stars are Edie Falco, Luis Guzman, and Paul Schulz. I don't know how you pronounce his name. Mm. Edie Falco and Lee Turgenson, who's another one of the guest stars, were in the show called Oz together, which is another Tom Fontana show. Right. And then Paul Schulz and Edie Falco were actually a couple in her series on Showtime called Nurse Jackie. So that's pretty weird yeah. that uh, they they interacted with each other down the road. Yeah, that they kind of like, from this this one episode, you have all these people that would work again. Really strange. Each other and, um, I mean, Edie Falco, like, tremendous on, um, like, everything she's been Sopranos. in. Sopranos. Yeah, she yep. killed it in Sopranos. Yeah, yep. Um But yeah, just the small parts here. And I guess that makes sense. It's, um, you know, they need a lot of people to kind of round out this world if they're going to keep introducing characters and have them be Correct. dead. So, yeah. You know, you know, you're going to get some uh, some real talent. Um, cool. So let's uh, let's talk storylines in this. Sure. Where, where yeah, do you want to I'm start? ready. Uh, you you know let's let's start with the cop shooting. Yeah. Um, and and my one comment is on any other show, a cop shooting would take over the entire episode. Right. It doesn't. Life where death goes on yeah. and there's other stuff going on which I thought was interesting yeah right that it's not like a bottle episode where it's like alright this is the one storyline that we're going to continue throughout um, I wonder if you know going back and again kind of trying to think through the heads of the people who are putting this on TV and their thought process you know I think you would bump an episode like this up because of that storyline. Agreed. I think it's like a hot button. I think people will totally under will buy into a story like that. There's an easy sentimental stakes uh, involved. And um, I think John Polito does an incredible job in this episode. Like, Yeah, I don't want to jump to who's the MVP, but right, yeah. you don't even have to think <laughs> yeah. about it. Crosetti is clearly the, the MVP. He, um, he does an awesome job, a wide range of emotions. He starts off the usual, talking about Lincoln. They yeah, hear right. that his friend was shot, Chris, and um, he just takes off from there. Yeah, the Lincoln stuff is funny. Uh, I'm going to assume, I could be, because there's no reason not to, that everything that they're saying is true. 
pretty convincing. He's <laughs> yes. making a really convincing argument for the conspiracy behind the shooting of Abe Lincoln. Um, and there's also another interesting kind of like historical thing that weaves in this episode, which is the bust of Spiro Agnew. Yes. Which I had no idea. We'll talk about that later. Okay, cool. Um, so yeah, so they start, uh, and yeah, he's talking over, uh, the, making a convincing argument for the Lincoln case, and of course gets word that his friend, his best friend, has just been shot. So he rushes over to the hospital, and uh, he's livid. He is, you know, one of the many emotions that John Plato puts on in this episode. Yeah, he's completely out of control. Um, he obviously knows the officer's wife. He puts on a front for her. Um, he's real, goes after the doctor, and then when the doctor tells him something, he goes and lies to the guy's wife. Right. Anyway. Yeah. So. And it's like, we see him pester the doctor in the same way that we see the reporters pestering the detectives. That's correct. Uh, trying to get information. Uh, and the same way he would pester a witness or anyone else on the show, right? Yeah. He would go after them. Yeah, he's got great pester skills. Why not? Oh, definitely. Why not use them? Um, so yeah, so they're uh, they're at the hospital and again, he's consoling uh, his wife and just kind of like reflecting on this uh, on his relationship with his friend um, and uh, so they go I guess first he goes to the precinct and talks to G. Yes, that he which is a great face. scene. So funny. Like, this episode, again, has really funny moments in it, and I think that's probably the funniest. But it's not... Like, it's not funny. I, it's I don't not, know. It's, it's not comic relief, but it is funny. I would right. submit this is a pretty dark episode. Yeah. But the scene with G, nevertheless, made me smile. Yeah, I mean, right. he takes his clothes off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like strange, but it's still like I mean, what he's he's trying to convince his boss to give him this case, which like even I know he should not be on. Like I know he should he's too into deep or whatever. Um, but him trying to convince him by talking about his bullets and just taking his pants off is hilarious. That was funny. And you know, I don't want to stretch it too far religious wise, but it's almost like he's Jesus and he's been sacrificed, wounded, displaying the wounds, crucified, and he's displaying the wounds to G, who's almost like a doubting Thomas, and he's like, come on, man, I've put my body on the line for this job, you owe me. And G caves in, which I was surprised. Yeah, yeah, and that's like that nice little, uh, like that punch at the end, where uh, G says, all right, you can take it, but Lewis is the primary. Right. Yep. And then, of course, he trucks out there, still <laughs> hiking up his pants, and tells Lewis that he's the primary. Lewis, of course, heard every word of it. He's sitting in the... And he says, no, I'm the primary. Yeah. Which was pretty funny. And then they go and they join Munch at the scene. Correct. So, so they're yes. there. And, and I think you actually... I mean, I don't know if this was deliberate, um, but I think... I'm sure, You know, it probably was deliberate. But um, the reaction from Crosetti being there is... Like, he gets so off his game, right? We see him like when he punches the car, and he starts just talking, kind of like waxing philosophical about his relationship with uh, Thorman. Um, you know, maybe he's even starting to realize that he's in over his head or he shouldn't be in on this case. Yeah, he, he pretty much loses it. I mean, uh, Lewis has to say to him, when because they don't find anything, he goes, do you want me to dust my own behind for fingerprints? Yeah, right. Which is another great line, by the way. <laughs> Yeah, and he starts talking about their mutual love of jazz. 
Um, just kind of like, and then he just, I don't know what he's doing. He doesn't talk for a few minutes and he talks about God. And I mean, he's really, like you say, losing it. Yeah. 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 He's probably in over his head. And um, yeah, just kind of like, yeah, when he's talking about that jazz thing, it, it's funny because it's it's written in the voice of the show where they kind of go off on these weird tangents and then it kind of ties back into something or it, or it comes back around. And that one just kind of leaves you out there. Yeah, you don't know where that's going at all yeah. at that point. Yeah, and then, you know, the the shoe never drops. And, um, yeah, so then we, we have that really cool scene uh, of with uh, Crisetti and Lewis in the, like, the locker room area there discussing different types of prayer and their the rosary and... and, and a few things surprised me how vulnerable Crosetti allowed himself to be. The fact that they discussed religion, which most primetime shows don't. Right. Um, the fact that um, he was very persuasive to, to Meldrick to help him to join in the, 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 the prayers um, and talk about bringing the other thing, which I didn't even catch the name of what the other thing is. Yeah. Um, whatever that was. But, and Lewis sounds like he's a believer, and they kind of have an argument about Mary and that kind of a thing. That was all very interesting. Yeah. And to touch on the, the question that we've asked, I think in every episode, both episodes so far, are these two friends? Like, no doubt. After this one... Um, and I think the scene that does that for me is when the punk cop is in the hallway. Of oh, the that's a good scene. Yeah, and he's saying he's bad mouthing Chris, almost like he got shot with his own gun, and Lewis just is ready to rip the guy a new one. Yeah, yeah, that was a good scene. Yeah, standing up for his partner, and that's a a real. Uh, Thing, which I've learned from watching, I think probably just Homicide, as it, you know, this uh, spoiler might come up again, this idea of being shot with your own gun. Yes. Is something that is like a... It's a real negative. Yeah, like worse than just being shot. If, Agree. If there could be such a thing. Um, so yeah, yeah, that scene, you know, where he, uh, did he call him like a, a Roman warrior or something? And... Something like that. I forget exactly. Yeah. But but really spoke him up, spoke highly of him too, uh, to that punk. Yes. <laughs> um. What else on? on well, that? then continue. So, eventually, Meltrick is like, "Well, let's put the rosary to use," and they lay it on the phone. And what happens in thirty <laughs> seconds? The phone rings. Yeah. With the. Uh, with good news. It's a tip on who shot uh, Thorman. And again, you can see Lewis believes because right before they go out, they talk about the Calpurnia church case being solved and he's like, we're on a roll here. Yeah, yeah, which that is a, another thing we should get into, the Calpurnia. We, and we will. Yeah. So yeah, that that was that was a great scene. How again, it really it was even faster than I thought. Puts the rosary on it, phone rings, Crisetti picks it up, the case is solved. Yeah, yeah, and um, so the, let's talk about the case though because it, it it seems solved. This person says that they will testify with one stipulation that they don't get their cluster headaches. He doesn't get a migraine. Yeah, which I thought was 
hysterical. He goes, I'll testify as long as, long as I don't have a migraine. Which was just, yeah. the whole thing was And weird. he's got all these pills on him and all these... Medicines. Yeah, medicines that he takes for them. Yeah, that was pretty funny. And that's, but I mean, I'm thinking like there's like there's no way he's, he's a bad witness. He's a bad witness, or he's not going to be able to testify because he has a headache or whatever. It just seems like if you're going to build, if that's the foundation that you're building your case on, probably pretty rocky. Hopefully, they have more um, evidence. So, the last scene with Crosetti, um, he's with the uh, cop's wife. They're in the uh, hospital room and um, the cop is still you know out of it and uh, Crosetti takes out um, headphones and plays jazz yeah and they just listen to jazz together and he holds his hand kind of like uh, like uh, comes close to and then... I, I underline that he really does hold his hand and again to show that manly love I think was unusual for a TV show to do. Yeah, I, I really do. Um, but it, it came across as real. Yeah, it, to felt, me. it feels genuine. And yeah. I, I guess it's that they, with the backdrop of the music, like you can feel that there's something. Just listening to music doesn't feel like that deeply profound a thing to do. But under the circumstances, it's you know painted in such a way. And of course, he has the Miles. Davis yeah, it takes his takes his shirt off and has a. Right jazz t-shirt that, that was a very uh, <clears throat> that was a very good scene so as we're watching this I'm writing down each time there's a new scene just a couple notes on each one and I noticed in the middle of this episode is probably the fastest pace that they have been moving uh, for any of these episodes yet and I mean there were six scenes all in a row that were, felt like they were probably 30 to 45 seconds yeah they were brief and I knew that they must have been building up to longer scenes towards the end they spend maybe as much as they spend in any of these small uh, exchanges with the reporters or with Bayless uh, losing it uh, at his desk. They spend as much time just on Crosetti and Thorman listening to jazz at the end. You're right. Which is like, if you're thinking of, e you're editing a 40, however many minute show. 45. To dedicate one minute to that is a lot of time. To, you know, dead space, but... And and the one scene with the reporter was he was asked for a better photo. Yeah, and right. And Cassetti just yells at him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was almost like, why was that scene even in there? Uh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I guess it's, you know, again, it's kind of like playing to... Uh, so much of this episode is, I feel like, frustration. Uh, the frustration of their jobs and, and their lives even outside of their jobs. Um yeah, I think that's kind of an overarching theme is frustration. And when we talk about Calpurnia Church, she doesn't admit to anything. It's 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 not a very, you know, closed, like you say, this witness who knows how good is he going to be. Um, we talk about Dean Watson, nothing good. It's not a very positive episode. Yeah. Well, why don't we talk about... Um, Bayless and the new new lead. Yeah, yeah. Let's absolutely do that. So, um, in this episode, uh, Tim is still grappling with the Adina Watson case. Uh, can't seem to shake it. Can't seem to. You know, he looks terrible. He does. Um, and uh, yeah, he's. Um, I guess G actually puts to him like, "Hey, I'm gonna 
assign you to a new case, like give you something else to do. And and he really doesn't want to do that. He does not want to move on. Yeah. And G's kind of telling him, you need to move on. He doesn't want to hear it. Yeah, and Frank goes and uh, has a conversation conversation with G that's like, hey, like, you know, he's he's not doing it. He's not a detective. He moves, moves at a snail's pace. Yeah. You see some begrudging respect for for Bayless. I saw it for the first time from Frank. from from Frank. Begrudging, little respect, Where? just a little. Well, he says he's he's trying hard, but he works too slow. Mm. But there was a little bit of respect there. I caught it just for the first time. I see Frank cracking a little. Yeah. But let's let, let yeah let's go go further back. They go, get a, go back to that I call it the first action scene in Homicide when they roused everybody in that house. Oh yeah, right. That was the first like hey <laughs> yeah real like a uh, high tension police officer scene. Um, yeah, they're so they're going. Is it just one house or it's a couple houses? On I the think block? it's just one house. Okay, with a ton of people in it. Yes, and a mess. That again was another like just it's just frustrating to see a mess like that, to think like now you have to go look through all of it and it's other people's stuff and like it was oh. kind of disgusting. Yeah, it got like it made me like turn off. I was like, oh, it's disgusting, um, to think that that's now what they have to go through, and Tim of course telling that uh, the one, I I don't know if he's a detective, but hey, you're going to have to dust for finger. I want fingerprints on everything. On everything. And that stuff that they used to detect blood, he wants right, yeah. put on everything. And you know they're not going to find anything. You just kind of know it's a yeah. dead end. Yeah, and there's a little, uh, a little, hey, I found something scene where he found a, it was an earring. earring that was in the shape of, I couldn't make it out. But it wasn't whatever Adina was wearing. Yeah, yeah. Bayless shuts it down immediately. Yeah. Again, there's that little scene where um, Tim and uh, Tim and Frank go for a ride, and he said, "You don't have the killer's mind." Oh yeah. So right away, he's now you know he's ripping into him again, and it was a weird conversation because I don't think Tim even understood where Frank was going, and almost either did I. Yeah. Well, I guess I I think what he's saying, and I feel like I've heard this in other movies where it's like for murderers it's about like ownership and control and so when Frank is talking about how when he drives around he sees his name on everything the cars are his he can steal people's wallets it's all about power like having and the end to see that opportunity to exert power over people but to not do it is one thing but I guess in his mind he's saying that you know a killer sees this and doesn't have whatever guard uh, Frank has that prevents him from just <clears throat> from doing it. Yeah, from stealing stuff. It's the the potential for bad things. Uh, how about when Tim um, has all the papers, throws them on the ground, and Frank comes over to help? Do you think Frank was actually wanted to help? Did you see any compassion from Frank? Scene. I don't remember Frank responding at all. Frank says, let me help you. Mm. He tries to pick up the papers, and Tim blows him away and says, I, I, I don't want your help. Yeah. You know? And 
again, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but again, I saw a little chink in Frank's demeanor. Yeah. I think he really won. But now it's Tim who's like, just get out of here, Frank. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm apologizing that that didn't register with me. Yeah, because you wouldn't expect Frank to stop and help anyone. And by the way, that's when... But immediately after that, Frank goes to G and says, get him off the case. I don't like him. G says, you don't like anybody. G defends Tim, in my opinion. Sure. He definitely de- defends him. And says, if you were murdered, you'd want a snail like him on your case because he wouldn't give up. Right, yeah. He'll check every Now, Frank doesn't agree, but G gives him a piece of his mind, I thought. Yeah. Well, and at this point, like, what else can G say? Right, to admit defeat on this is to uh, admit a lapse in his judgment. But that's interesting. So do you feel that... uh, if Frank is actually, like, warming up to Tim in that way, <laughs> is he going and, like, out of mercy asking G to take him off? Rather than, like, he might be going there as his pompous self. I think he's going as his pompous self. Yeah. I don't want to give Frank too much credit. Yeah. <laughs> Did you get the symbolism of the Rubik's Cube? Yeah. I thought it oh, was yeah. symbolic. Sure. It's the case. Yeah, you can't crack. He's right. just staring he's, at it. He just throws it. At yeah. the end, and Frank just kind of like looks at it like, yeah, like yeah, this is not good. And like Rubik's cube is like shorthand for the unwinnable struggle case, and right. that's and that's like what he's turning to to get his mind off of, you know, what could be worse than a Rubik's cube? Well, the, the Adina Watson case. Well, so it's funny skipping back to what, going back to what you said. So, G says maybe you should take a new case. And then Tim goes into this little soliloquy of, even if I, you know, if I don't make it as a homicide detective, I'm quitting. And he says, what we do as homicide detectives, nothing matters as much. Yeah. So he is, he's embraced the job, in my opinion, right? I mean. Yeah. Yeah, and he definitely, I mean, he feels the pressure. He's definitely putting pressure on himself to do this. But, I mean, you get the sense, even in that, in the first episode when we first meet him, like, yeah, he's goofy, he doesn't know where he's going, <laughs> but there's an earnestness there. You know, like, definitely. I think he, he wants to belong. He's sincere. Right, right. So, yeah, it's it's a test to how much, you know, he's willing to put into this and how much he has left to learn. Agree, Yes. For sure. Um, so yeah, not a no no major uh, major updates to the Adina Watson case. No, um, but we are getting uh, maybe a little more out of that relationship between Pembleton and Bayless now. Starting to develop. Yeah. But we got two kind of Bolander stories <laughs> to talk about. Yeah. Um, Luis Guzman is so good as that character, even when he says, I'm Lorenzo, my real name, and depends what world I'm working in. Yeah, I thought right. that whole explanation <laughs> was just great. It makes sense, though, right? Yeah, like if you're gonna If you're going to pay more than like $100 for something that be Lorenzo. Wood, I would want it from Lorenzo, right. yeah. <laughs> yeah, that scene is is so bizarre. For this show, to introduce like 
someone who is not of the cop world or not dealing with um, a case or anything, not a suspect, was so strange to just kind of see Bolander be a guy, you know, sit and drink a beer with someone. And of course, the his neighbor was very presumptuous. Grabs the beer, yeah, and um, <laughs> says, I'll, "You can have one of my beers." And, and, the whole, and the fact that you saw that Stan is living kind of in a pretty crappy area, crappy place, was kind of a little, you know, I don't know, a little sad, maybe. Yeah, he, well, he's definitely a sad sack character. Like, they built him up from the beginning. Like you, one of the first things you know about him is that you know. He, divorced and um, I mean his partner's John Munch so he's got that going against him too um, but yeah he uh, in that even though we're introduced to a character that isn't involved with the world of homicide uh, there still has to be some like semblance of death there and of course what is it he's got a coffin in this I'm little apartment say that. that he couldn't which is crazy couldn't probably squeeze out the door um yeah, so it it really felt like a, like an existential like a waiting for Godot Samuel Beckett thing where they're like uh, having a conversation that's maybe a lot deeper than what it sounds like they're talking about. Um, yeah, I I thought so, and then the fact that he starts talking about his wife who left him eight or nine years ago. Again, sadness. Yeah, he wish he could love again, and stands thinking. The same thing, but Stan's a little further. Stan's got a date. Yeah, right. He's got someone interested, but it's almost like the I Love Wood character, Lorenzo, is is past that in a darker place yeah. than Bolander is. Yeah. Bolander's got hope. Larry has no hope. Yeah, and like Larry went out of his way to basically trick someone into hanging out with him too so his loneliness is probably real uh and deep but uh yeah so bizarre what a a funny interesting and kind of like a palate cleanser i think from even though it was kind of again like a dark or heavy type of conversation having it didn't feel that way no no that, that i guess is as much acting and writing as anything else now now skip to the last scene with Lorenzo and you're not quite sure when Bolander pulls up whether it's really his place but the door I'm like he's he's back at his apartment yeah and Larry is dead in the coffin yeah and it's like wow yeah it's just like um, and, and Bolander said um, he dies at home of a broken heart it's refreshing yeah. Now, but he killed himself. Right. Right. He didn't, we think. Yeah. We assume it's a suicide. Yeah. That yeah. That was that whole scene was excellent, but it was weird. Yeah, definitely out of uh, left field for this show. Um, and I'll tell you, they had me in that whole relationship when he has his shirt that says "I, I love, love wood." wood. Yeah. It was like <laughs> I'm sold. Yeah. Yeah. Before you see all the rest of the stuff in his house. Um, yeah, Luis Guzman rules. I mean, he's like, he was awesome. Yeah, uh, it's a shame we won't see more from that character. Agree. To waste a great actor on a one story or one episode arc. So stick with Bolander and talk about his date with um, yeah. Doctor Bly. Yeah, dating someone who works at a morgue. <laughs> has to be a weird. 
go pick her up with flowers like ugh. <laughs> that his um, <clears throat> uncomfortableness his shyness is so you want to smile because he's so real yeah you can kind of, we've all been there at some point in our life when you're bashful with a woman and he definitely is and it was just it was sweet yeah it's like it watching sweet. a schoolboy rather than definitely. a homicide detective uh, yeah an adult he kind of like is reverting back um, and yeah so I guess they went out to well he goes to, to pick her up and he gets there early and he's like already ready flustered to, yeah he's ready to, to dive bomb the date why before it even starts um because he's too excited he's too nervous yeah and i guess too i mean maybe that's part of what we're getting from with this luzman character is that like maybe this is a new can of worms for him maybe this relationship thing maybe he's not built for relationships or you know when he thinks of how how his last one ended poorly yeah and he's so blown away by how pretty she is. Yeah, right. And the way she smells. And there's a scene where he just like, he goes, oh. Like, yeah, right. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. This is incredible. She's pretty. She smells good. Yeah. It's like he's blown away by the whole thing. Yeah. I'm Very gonna, cute. Yeah, I'm kind of blown away, too. He, she's like way out of his league, I would Definitely. guess. But again, maybe if you work around dead people, Bolander's not a, not such a, a... a a five becomes a seven. But, um, yeah, so they go out and, uh, looks like the date's gonna continue. They seem to be enjoying each other's company. They're having she a says, good time. Yeah, she says, hey, let's go get a bottle of wine at my place. And then he gets beeped. And I, I, again, going back to his previous relationship and what this could potentially be for him and, and maybe not so great, even though it feels fun he's having a, a good time on the date um i wonder if he wasn't hoping for an excuse to end it there hmm. you know maybe maybe not because Don't like know. because like when she's saying like couldn't you be late you know half an hour or something he's, he's like no yeah he's insisting and and i feel like if it's his night off what's well, the difference of a half an hour I would agree with you if it wasn't for the final scene. I would say you're right. He was trying to get out of it. And maybe you're right. He was at that point. Right. But then he. So comes what around. happens at the end, he comes back to her home um, very sheepishly. Um, and she says something very um, philosophically profound coming out of the rain. And it's much more than just coming out of the rain and it's right. raining. It's like, Stan, coming out of this gloom and in, come on inside. I like you. You know, we could have a relationship. I found that very touching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a double meaning for me. Right, yeah, absolutely. And he, he needs it at that point. You and, know? and he's very comfortable with her. He opens up to her. He's not afraid when they're on the dock area by the water to open. Yeah. And even before, it was just like I was driving around. I mean, he really opens to her. Yeah. I, he makes himself vulnerable. Yeah, I'm, then I'm going to stick with, at that point, when he got beeped, he wanted to leave. That he was starting to feel uncomfortable or unsure. And that going and seeing Lorenzo in his final state, heartbroken and deceased, was enough to make him realize worth the risk. Maybe the relationship... Is worth. I, I I can definitely buy that. I know. 
but cool fun little storyline for him uh I, I think all of those scenes, like even the date scenes, like they're fun. Uh, I th- I really like uh, her character too. It is good character. Um, and yeah, the the um, Lorenzo stuff is. I wish we awesome. could see so much more of that. Yeah. Ned Ned Beatty is um, or Beatty, however you pronounce it. He is really he's awesome. Yeah. He's really good. Let's absolve ourselves now from ever having to pronounce anyone's last name. However right? it comes yeah. out, yeah. it's the way it is. We're sorry. <laughs> Try to pronounce email. my last names yeah. sometimes. <laughs> So um, that leaves us with Bo and yeah, Kay Bo in the Calpurnia Church. Right. So uh, this is where we get this conversation that, again, we were talking about Lincoln before, and we, we were going to mention Spiro, Spiro Agnew. Spiro Agnew. Who was a vice president um, under Nixon. Richard Nixon. He had to resign... Uh, and pleaded uh, no contest to bribery charges when he was of Maryland, mm-hmm. I believe. So he resigned in disgrace. Right. And if you carry it further, so they appoint Gerald Ford as the vice president, who becomes president when Nixon resigns, having never been elected on the ticket, yeah. which is just a little historical now. Yeah, that's neat. So they go into a whole big riff on Spiro Agnew. Which is which is interesting. The idea that every vice president gets a bus. Yeah, I didn't even in, know that. Yeah, me neither. So I looked it up. And, and because they they make it it's seem true? like... Well, they or make no. it seem like um, there's maybe this is like a topic that's in the news about Spiro Agnew and people are trying to like lobby for him to have his bus... Here you go. On May 28, 1995, uh, Spiro Agnew bust at the Capitol. Wow. Uh, so he did, I, I think, I didn't read the entire article, so we can we can add an addendum to next week's episode if I'm wrong. But it looks like he did get his bust uh, installed in, in the Capitol. You know, and as Alexander Hamilton being in the news these days, oh, yeah, right. so that Vice President Aaron Burr basically murdered... Alexander Hamilton and his bust was there. Yeah. So, but that was great with them debating that back and forth, kind of for a few seconds. And that was the so this the new case that they're on. That was the point of contention between the person that was killed, right? That was something that they had argued about. Yes. And that uh, this woman was her name Zorn. Yes, that was the woman in the box at all. Right. Uh, that she had worked with this person that was shotgun and that they had arguments about this stuff. And then at the funeral, she starts spouting off about how she was serious about what she had told him and and then goes through, did they say details on how she hired someone to kill him? I, I don't know the exact words, but yeah, but it comes out that she hired someone, which leads to them talking to the guy that brokered the deal. And that leads us to Calpurnia Church. Yeah, well, before we get there, like, this Zorn lady, like, cool it. She was almost at the finish line. Why is she talking about this at the funeral? Because criminals are stupid. Yeah, right, yeah. She doesn't doesn't know any better. Um, so, yeah, so that's two, the person that actually, uh, she went to someone who went through to someone else. And that was our, our guest from... Yes, from... Um, Nurse Jackie, Paul Schulz. Yeah, just want to give you another chance to get, take another stab at that Ruin last his name. name. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Mispronounce his last name. Thank you for that. Um, so yeah, so he comes in and he, 
like it, it almost seems like he's been in the box before, right? Like he's yeah, he has so no cares, and he's totally upfront with them with what's going on. Doesn't care. He doesn't have a care in the world. Because and they even make a comment. They go, "You you like to laugh or something?" Yeah, yeah. It's, he doesn't care. So does he get tried with anything though? Is he? Gonna I get don't think so. He's he's not an accessory to murder. And I, try I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I don't see them holding him. So yeah, it's pretty weird. <laughs> he arranges hitmans, hitmen. So yeah. So, uh, so they get in touch with someone related to Cap- Calpurnia. Then Calpurnia that's where this Church. all kind of ties in, right? And I think they end up meeting, which is <laughs> so weird. Her current husband, Slash. who happens to be her nephew, nephew it's yeah. his aunt, and that guy. That that scene to me again. Is comic relief and it isn't comic relief. Yeah, right. Because he is clearly scared of her, that she's got power. And it's just, it's a very strange scene. It's almost as if she's told him, when the cops come, here's what you say. Because he spilled all the beans, but they still have this, uh, like, bulletproof um, uh, defense against her, which is the doctor's. That he'll have, she'll have four or five doctors who will testify that she's crazy. That she's crazy, and so she'll get off on all of this stuff. Right, and he he, and he's like, why don't you go to the police? Well, she could kill anyone. Yeah. Don't, so don't you? You're next. You're gonna right? be killed next. He's right. like, yes, I yes, have. I do. And he, he's like, there's nothing I can do about it. Yeah. But he spills the beans that she's got albums of all the people oh. she killed, and you can see they're just like, whoa, this is gonna be a treasure trove of info yeah a lot of cases that are in red on the board that she's related to are going to get solved now um so she uh she gets brought into the precinct and now she i guess her cases were under lewis not just lewis there was one under frank oh right frank and someone else who we didn't we weren't even sure yeah because they just change it you don't see the top of the board yeah. So I count at least three cases that went from red to black. And the guy in New Jersey, there was a guy in, was it Plainfield? Plainfield, New Jersey. Yeah. Our uh, home state. Yeah, made it on the on homicide. Yes. That case has to be out of their jurisdiction, right? Probably. Yeah, so there's some, they're clearing That's cases. It's another case. Yeah, they're clearing cases for people they've never even met uh, with this Calpurnia, bringing Calpurnia down. But uh, again, it looks like it's not a slam dunk. When she comes in, she's talking with Lewis. Yeah, she's not admitting to anything. Yeah, she knows exactly what to say. And that's what she... She was like, I need my medication. And he said, I can't. Or no, I'm not going to let you go in there and overdose. Thinking that she's going to like... Kill herself or something. Yeah, take too much of whatever. Um, And then she said... Oh, he says, "Will uh, will you testify on a lie detector test? I can't. She said, I can't, I'll get a note from my doctors. Which again is going, she's calling back to the That's fact right. that her doctors are in her pocketbook uh, and they're going to testify that she's crazy. And, and by the way, just another side note, she questions him about his religion. Oh, right. She says something like, don't you have, aren't you? And he's like, don't question. And because of what we know has just happened in the show, we're like, yeah, don't. Don't talk to him about his religion, yeah. lady. Yeah, because yeah. he's he's not even sure what he believes anymore. <laughs> he's just had a rosary work right. that brought you in. Um, yeah. But that was good. They definitely tied that 
right her unknowingly saying that to him was great yeah great writing yeah so yeah we're, so we're hopeful that Calpurnia can I mean they, and this they knew before when we saw this case come up in previous episodes we were like oh this person is knocking people off for the insurance money everyone knew it but I think they think if they change them from red to black they think enough on her to convict her yeah it's going to go to the whatever grand jury go to trial yeah cool anything else on Calpurnia no I thought that woman was so believable oh, she yeah. didn't look like an actress yeah didn't behave like an actress it was just like she's real yeah which is one of the great things about the show. A lot of time the <clears throat> peripheral characters are just so believable. Yeah. Like Luis Guzman being the wood guy. You just, yeah, that's what he is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, uh, she also had colorful earrings. I made a note of that. Um, By the way, going back to uh, James Yasher Moore that wrote this, he wrote one of my other favorite episodes which I'll just call the Subway episode. Oh, yeah. So he is a great writer, very grim. And, um, yeah, he's... I don't know how many others he's written, but when you see his name on a script, he's really good. Yeah, I remember uh, in the making of the... Was it's just kind of for, a documentary. There's a, yeah, there's something that's in the, the box set that we have. Yes. Uh, where they talk to him a lot. Um, and, and, yeah, he kind of talks about some of the classic episodes that he's worked on uh yeah the subway one rules as soon as i saw his name i'm like i remember him he's awesome yeah um all right i think do we have is there anything else that we're missing here i think we got i think we got it so we see the board once in this episode yeah right? it was just when they're when they're over. when they're changing the Calpurnia church somebody by the way has almost all red I couldn't see who it was who so do you, someone who do you think Bo Felton, Bo Felton. probably yeah, absolutely it was pretty bad <laughs> um and then we saw I guess two people in the box in this episode it was Calpurnia and then Zorn yes. oh and and that guy and the, the, and the hitman arranger right the middle the the the, but, uh, but no really man. intense scenes in the box. I mean, you know. No yeah, Frank Lewis, Yeah, Yeah, Frank wasn't in there. Yeah. So Meldrick was kind. Yeah. The other guy was was a riot. And the other woman, they just show her in there, Zern or whatever the hell. I would, I would love to see Frank in the box with Calpurnia. How he would handle her. With someone who is like that off kilter and also like yeah, that sick. entrenched in their own BS. You know, yeah, the kind of see, like thing. He gets frustrated for sure. <laughs> I agree. Um, cool. All right. Well, yeah. Is there any any other anything that we're missing on this? I don't think so. I think we we, we nailed it again. Not a lot of intentional comic relief. I would say it's kind of the dark episode so far overall. Um, very. Well written, well acted. Again, the casting, can't say enough about the people they bring in as guest stars, as not even guest stars. Very believable. And again, that overall theme of just like, this is not a fun job yeah. at all. Yeah, it this is, is not a frustrating a, job. Yeah, it's not a great life. Uh, these guys are not having a blast. 
Joe, people want to email us or contact us. How do they do that? Where do they send the email the to? The email address is from red to black pod at gmail.com. Again, we, we welcome your your insight, your comments, your criticisms, of course your praise. We crave that. Yes. Um, but again, we know you're out there. You love the show as much as we do, and we'd love to hear your your comments and feedback. Yeah, chime in with how you mispronounce people's names. Yeah, we'd like that. Yeah, and other reads that you have on characters. Like, I, I'm, I, I'm still convinced, and it would be fun to... Maybe this is a separate episode sometime, but I still feel like Frank uh, was a liar in those first two episodes. And we'll I have now that to I, debate that. Yeah, I know. Now that, now that like, I go back, like, looking through that lens, I'm like so much more convinced. I'm more convinced than when I was than when you first brought it up. Yeah. Let's put it that way. Well, maybe that's an episode for another time. Email us if you think that uh, Frank Pembleton is a liar as of episode two and a half. So I guess we can say, Daniel, we took uh, episode three-ish of Homicide Life on the Street from red to black. Have a great uh, evening, day.